0: Hello everyone, my name is Eric Mercier, I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today I'm going to walk you through the August edition of our Natural Wine Club. Uh, We had originally planned on having a guest on today's show, um, but unfortunately she had a leak at her 100-year-old apartment house situation. uh, So she wasn't able to make it, so we're going to save the surprise. Hopefully uh, she'll be able to make it out for the next one. Uh, So we'll jump right into it instead. The first wine that we have in the wine club this month is uh, Claire Nodane's Malon. Uh, we've talked about Claire Nodane before. Essentially, whenever we get an allocation from her, we try and set aside enough of at least one wine to include in the wine club. Um, her wines are just so spectacular. Uh, you know, They've recently become uh, my dad's favorite wines, which is quite exciting for me because uh, it means that when I finally get the chance to go visit him, hopefully I'll get to drink a bottle or two and maybe be able to surprise him with a bottle or two he hasn't had before. But... Um, but Mark and I really went out of our way to go visit Claire uh, when we went to Burgundy for the first time, which was I think in 2019. Um, we drove from from Bone, which is kind of the maybe the most iconic place to to stay in in well, obviously at least in the Cote de Bone in uh, in Burgundy in France. Uh, one of the most famous wine regions in the world, and one of the most famous wine towns in the world. Tons of really great wine bars and restaurants there. If you want to spend a ton of money, you definitely can. Uh, But we were able to find a couple really great, um, I guess, kind of smaller spots to to hang out um, and drink really great wine for honestly really great prices as well. So Claire is maybe a a 10-minute drive away from Bone, maybe a little bit further, maybe 15 minutes, depending on traffic, whether there's, uh, you know, plows on the road or or whatever, you know. It's it's an agriculture area, so uh, you can expect there to be, you know, tractors in your way or, uh, you know, sheep crossing or something along those lines. Um, But yeah, about 10 to 15 minutes away, Um, and she's essentially between the two most sort of famous components of uh of burgundy um the Côte de Bonne and the Côte de nuit and she's sort of sandwiched directly between those two so she has vineyards sort of on either side as well as on the hills that are sort of um above that actual you know the the coat so like the hillside essentially um One of the things that she's most famous for is working with the region's unsung grape varieties, so a lot of people are familiar with uh, essentially all white wines from from Burgundy being made from Chardonnay and all red wines being made from Pinot Noir, um, although there are a couple very, very, very minor exceptions to that rule. This being sort of one of them, which is Aligote. So the grape variety Aligote, um, it has a lot in common with Chardonnay in the sense that it is uh, what we call a neutral grape variety, unlike an aromatic grape variety. So aromatic grape varieties, we'd be thinking about things like Muscat, Gewürztraminer, and even Riesling. Um, Chenin Blanc kind of falls somewhere in between. Uh, And then we have neutral grape varieties, which are... um, again they don't have a ton of like exotic fruit flavors you're not getting uh tropical fruits you're not getting a ton of spice you're getting these um sort of more dialed in fruit characteristics usually you know apple pear Um, but because there's not a lot of wild flavors going on in these wines they really allow uh, you just see the difference from vineyard to vineyard. The fewer variables you have, uh, the easier it is to really see what makes a particular vineyard unique, which is why, again, Chardonnay is sort of the most famous grape from Burgundy, is because it is neutral, and so it allows the terroir, or that sense of place that you get in certain wines, to actually shine through. Aligote is very similar to that. Um The reason why it's not more popular is beyond me. Uh, Fortunately, there are groups uh, in Burgundy that are trying to bring this great variety back and show that it is worth uh, planting and worth preserving the old vines that actually exist. Um, they're called the Aligoteur, uh, definitely worth uh, following along with them. I think they have an Instagram account, um, you know, one of my favorite producers of all time, Sylvain um, he uh he's part of that group, um, and uh, they're basically just trying to prove that Aligoté deserves all the praise of absolutely everything else, and uh, I definitely think that it does. It's one of my favorite grape varieties. Um, one of the first places that i ever worked um in in the wine industry i guess volunteered is maybe a more appropriate uh, term for it um was in oregon and the winemaker that i i worked with um he was a huge fan of aligote and felt like it deserved to be planted in oregon even so it'd be cool if it, it you know, start showing up a little more all around the world, I think the Okanagan is kind of an ideal place to grow aligote. So I'd be very curious to to try it from there as well. So either way, Claire Nodin, uh, really famous for focusing on, not focusing on, but making a couple really uh, interesting aligotés. Uh, Malon is her entry-level one, um, although the fruit sources are absolutely spectacular as well. Um, you know, this is, not, uh, this is not crappy vineyards being made into cheap wine. This is really amazing vineyards being made into wine that I think is quite affordable considering the quality level. Um, so as we talked about before, it tends to be uh, more neutral and characteristic. It's not exuberant. It's not um, gregarious. It, it's more of this sort of refined, delicate style of grape variety. So again, things like apple, things like pear, but really shows that mineral uh, sort of vibe that we associate with, with terroir-driven wines or wines that are coming uh, you know, from a single place. Uh, a lot of flintiness in this wine. A little bit of a creaminess as well. Um, Creaminess comes from biological processes, not from a grape variety, which means that uh, inherent in Aligote or in Chardonnay or any other grape variety, um, there isn't necessarily like an inherent creaminess to those grapes. But when you allow a certain type of bacteria um, to convert malic acid uh, into lactic acid, essentially... um, and a handful of other things. Uh, you can create some creamy qualities in the in the wine, and that's exactly what's happened here, uh, is you end up with some of these sort of creamy, almost yogurty y um, kind of vibe. It's still fresh. Uh, I think a lot of people think that wines that are creamy can't really be fresh, but this is proving exactly the opposite of that. Um, this is one of the few wines in our portfolio that's actually uh, fined and filtered. Uh, I think there's only maybe three or four wines in the portfolio that are fined or filtered, um, but she just feels like, uh you know, instead of waiting forever for the wine to clarify or bottling it cloudy, she really likes how this wine shows when it's a little more clear um, with less of the sort of sediment to get in the way. Um, But unlike most producers who use animal products to fine their wines, uh, she's using bentonite clay. Uh, Really delicate process, basically clings to all the little floaty bits in the wine, the clay sinks to the bottom, um, as well as all those, again, all the particulate and you end up with something that's quite delicate, quite clean, uh, and very classic in style. And again, the filtration is literally just to, to get rid of that stuff, all that stuff that sunk to the bottom. Um, she so bottles everything by gravity, which is really cool. So essentially uh, getting your tank up high enough that the, um, that the finished wine can actually just run directly into the bottle. And this is definitely the most delicate way of making wine. She's very protective of her wines. She really tries not to allow them to get too much oxygen. Um, she doesn't want to be pumping them around. It's very physical. Uh, you know, a lot of it is sort of anecdotal, but if you're putting something through a pump that's spinning at, you know, a million times a second to, to create that vacuum to essentially push the wine from one place to another, uh, it's basically whipping the wine in a blender and, and you really wouldn't want to do that so she's very careful and, and does everything pretty much by uh, by gravity as opposed to by pumping which is again one of the reasons why i think that her wines are so clear so refined so focused um but such a joy to drink uh, as far as pairings go, the one that I wrote about was definitely scallops. I've been on a little bit of a seafood kick lately. Uh, I went to uh, Rodney's here in Calgary and picked up, uh, you know, a couple dozen unshucked oysters and literally just sit, sat around and drank uh, a bottle of Claire Nodin and, uh, and shucked oysters and was just overwhelmed by happiness. There's something so special about shucking oysters i find i don't know what it is about it that just is very grounding to me um it feels celebratory it feels like you know sort of your your instincts are overtaking everything else you know you you feel like you're almost foraging for your own food or something like that uh you know it brings you back a little bit um so either way, something like oysters, obviously a classic combination, but uh, I actually wrote in in the tasting note that I think this would go really well with scallops. Um, I haven't had a really good scallop in a while here, uh, but something about that sweetness that comes from like a pan-seared scallop when you do it just right, that sort of buttery, uh, again, kind of sweet, ocean-y characteristic really, I think, would go well with this. Uh, and then the other pairing that I included was, uh, grilled cheese with a can of cream of mushroom soup. You know, you don't have to go fancy here. I think Campbell's will definitely do. Uh, it's the perfect lunch, for sure. Uh, we're definitely all about the, uh, the highbrow, lowbrow combination. Um, although I think you could argue that, uh, that Malon, uh, that, uh, Aligote is kind of the lowbrow wine of, uh, the most famous winemaking region in the world, uh, Burgundy. So, Uh, yeah. Claire, no day Malone. Definitely. I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, we don't get a ton of it. Um, But we were able to get just enough of it for the wine club and then maybe have, you know, five or 10 cases to go around after that. We're really looking forward to getting the new vintage in the fall. Uh, This is the 2018. Um, 2018 was sort of a plentiful harvest for them. Uh, Really good harvest, really high quality wines. Um, And so, you know, it sort of helped them through the last couple very small vintages. Um, in 2021, for instance, the wine that hasn't even been made yet, they've already lost a significant portion of their crop, uh, because of really severe, um, spring frost, which killed all the potential for fruit, uh, and now they've had hail as well, so it's looking like some of the vineyards are down 90%, um, maybe even more than that in some cases, um, But essentially, they've been extremely unlucky. So we we were very fortunate that we could get uh, a little bit more of the 2018 uh, when 2019, 2020, and 2021 are looking like such meager crops. So um, again, we'll be getting the new vintage in the fall. So look forward to that. Um, I know I am for sure. Uh, next up is a wine from Oregon. Um, we haven't featured too many wines from Oregon in the wine club. It's hard to find them at uh, a really great price point, but we um, feel like this one from Malouf is, is definitely uh, incredible bang for buck considering the, the quality. Um, this one is called Where Ya PJs At, uh, which is a hilarious name for a wine. There is a pillow fight happening on the label, which is, uh, again, about as joyous as the actual wine is. Um, I think there's something really playful to a lot of the Malouf wines uh, at the same time as being serious. We talk about this a lot, but the idea of complexity and drinkability being fit into the same wine. I think there are a lot of wines that are extraordinarily complex, but you really wouldn't want to drink more than a glass of it versus Malouf has done a really amazing job of capturing all that complexity, but maintaining drinkability. Um... Ross and Maloof are definitely huge advocates for um, Pinot Gris in Oregon. Pinot Gris in the rest of the world is considered, again, like definitely a, a really um, useful crop, essentially. It makes, you know, in, in most cases, it makes very neutral wine um, that's just meant to be, you know, crushed it's, I always refer to it as the in-law wine. It's the wine that you can bring to your in-law's place and not offend anybody, essentially. Uh, but because of that, it's usually not very interesting. Uh, they usually crop it really high, meaning they grow a lot of tons per acre, uh, which essentially dilutes the flavor. So you get a lot of grapes, you make a lot of wine, but it's not very flavorful. It's not very interesting. Um, Ross and B are are kind of the opposite where they're like, no, we, we think that Pinot Gris should be farmed with as much care and intensity as something like Pinot Noir, um, which obviously commands extraordinarily high prices, especially from Oregon, where you're talking, you know, for the best examples, well over $100 a bottle. Um, they think that if you put that much care into Pinot Gris, you can definitely get some wines that are, uh, you know, equivalently complex. And, you know, they're... Uh, hedging their bets that it could be even more complex potentially. Uh, They blended Pinot Gris with a a little bit of Riesling. It's about 80-20 Pinot Gris to Riesling. Um, And they've done some skin fermentation here. So this is an orange wine, and this is definitely one of the more orange orange wines that we've ever put in the club, uh, in the sense that it looks orange. Uh, Orange, again, is, is a little bit of a misnomer, the same way that red wine is a misnomer and white wine is a misnomer. Red wines are seldom actually truly red. Uh, They're quite a variety of colors, everything from, uh, you know, sort of a bricky color all the way to being super deep purple. Uh, And same thing with white wines. I've never seen a white wine that's actually white. I've definitely seen white wines that are yellow or green or sort of golden in color. Uh, And same thing with orange wines. Most of the orange wines that we bring in are definitely more sort of on the gold end of the spectrum, a little bit salmon-y perhaps. Um, this one definitely has some some orange to it. Uh, it matches the label really perfectly, I find. And uh, the reason for that is a little bit because of Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris, um, gris means gray. Um, so sort of halfway between Pinot Noir and Pinot Blanc, Pinot Noir being a red grape or a black grape as the French describe it, uh, and Pinot Blanc being a white grape it's kind of halfway in between. So it's actually pink skinned. Uh, It's kind of got these coppery um, skin color to it. So when you ferment it with the skins, it it pulls out a lot of that sort of coppery tone. Um, Riesling on the other hand, tends to be quite golden in color. Uh, especially when you're harvesting it quite ripe, or it can be quite green. It kind of goes from green to gold really quickly. Um, and so by blending those two things together, you end up with an orange wine that actually looks quite orange comparatively, uh, which I really like. I think they're, the colors that Malouf gets are, are quite beautiful. And again, you can't really judge a wine uh, entirely based on its color, on whether or not it's gonna be good, but there's something to be said for a really beautiful looking wine also tasting really good. Um, so part of this wine was fermented uh, on its skins, um, which is where it gets that color from. Uh, apparently part of it spent 20 days on skins, which is definitely not a short period of time. A lot of the winemakers that we work with have gone quite a bit shorter on the amount of skin contact they're doing on their orange wines now, um, often somewhere around the um, you know one week mark, maybe 10 days. So the fact that they're getting up to 20 days, getting a lot more uh, intensity of flavor, um, in, uh, 2020, which is the vintage that this is from, they had a lot of issues with smoke, so their production was down, um, substantially, like, a lot, a lot, a lot, uh, so a lot of their cuvées were not even getting, uh, you know, an actual allocation of this year, um, so they had to be really gentle with extraction from most of their vineyards because the smoke is is again if it's anywhere it's going to be settling on the outside of the skins so normally what you do in a year with a lot of smoke taint is you make a lot of rosé and you make a lot of white wine so things that don't involve using the actual skins of the grape Um, but for this particular wine uh, they felt like the skins were clean enough that they were able to you know again, make something with skin contact, and it's great. It doesn't have any of the smokiness that you'd expect off of uh, a forest fire vintage, although it seems like every year is now a forest fire vintage. Uh, it's, uh, you know, especially in, in um, California in 2020, a lot of our producers lost upwards of 80% of their crop uh, due to smoke taint. So it's, uh, it's again, it's, it's really frustrating, but at the same time, you know, we, we got to come up with ways of, uh, of dealing with the, the quote-unquote new normal. Um, for me, this wine is incredibly joyous from a flavor perspective. Uh, you know, you have everything from uh, grapefruit, those sort of like really high-toned citrusy notes. um to a lot richer fruit characteristics um i think i wrote grilled peach as one of mine where it's got that combination of of sort of like caramelized um but really juicy and fruity at the same time um, that kind of tactile quality that something like persimmon um, or again grilled peach would actually have to it i really like that even at percent alcohol this wine actually has some weight to it um, and that's coming from those skins and, and the grapes being appropriately ripe um you can have wines that are eleven and a half percent alcohol, but the grapes actually weren't really fully ripe. Um, so they can have those green kind of herbal characteristics versus this, this is way more focused on again, ripe, but juicy and, and energetic fruit characteristics. Um, because they've fermented on the skins, you're also going to get a, a little bit of tannin. Uh, for me, the tannins on this are very tonic. Like I really like wines with tonic like tannins, um, where it has that sort of drying effect on the finish, which makes it quite clean, quite crisp, uh, and definitely food friendly, uh, A lot of people are like why would you want to drink a wine with tannins and they have this experience with red wine as well especially bigger bolder red wines Um, but tannins actually function to cleanse your palate essentially it can cut through a lot of fat Um, and so it's a style that i really like i think that people should be a lot less afraid of tannins and it's not to say that these ones are you know outlandish they're they're very delicate Um, but i really really again i think they do really well in this wine Uh, as far as pairings go, I really wanted to go full Pacific Northwest on this and, and do an ode to salmon. Uh, so I included a bunch of sort of my favorite ways of, of eating salmon, whether that be, you know, grilled over the coals while you're camping. This is a great camping line, I would say for sure. Um, you know, sort of that, that, uh, that dewy evening kind of vibe, uh, where you're drinking this at sunset and somehow the color of the wine and the color of the label and the color of the salmon, uh, all of it kind of goes together. Uh, <laughs> and that sort of, you know, the witching hour, the, uh, right before sunset, um, it's just such a, a beautiful vibe. And that's what this wine reminds me of. It's got this perfect combination of like end of summer, um, early autumnal flavor characteristics. So I think it goes really well with, um, you know, so that crossover period where you're starting to get into root vegetables again after, you know, not eating them all summer, because that's all we can kind of eat during the winter here in, uh, in Alberta. Um, so things like grilled carrots, I think are really great. Um, but even if you wanted to do, uh, you know, raw salmon, I think that that would go super well with this wine. Um, One of the things I included was like a Japanese style hand cone. uh, So where you have um, a sheet of nori, so like a sheet of seaweed, um, stuffed with rice, uh, you know, big chunks of of salmon, and then sort of seasoned with a little bit of sweetened soy sauce. Um, It's just such a divine combination uh, with this style of wine for me. Um, A lot of my friends from Japan always talk about how orange wines were essentially perfect for most Japanese foods, and I think that this is a a really great combination. That combination of umami and fruity, uh, I think it all gets along really well. Our last wine today uh, is coming from Brock Cellars, uh, one of our favorite producers of all time. Uh, We've included them quite a bit in the wine club over the years. You know, this is we're almost on to year number four. This is (laughs) this is the last of year number three. Uh and so we've probably over the years used them I don't know, maybe four or five times over over the last, you know, however many, thirty-six wine clubs. Um and honestly we just like can't get enough of them. And every time we include one, everybody's like, This wine is one of my favorite wines you've ever included. And so we sort of went out of our way to get one of their higher end wines for the wine club this time. Um, they do a lot of really great single vineyard wines from single grape varieties uh, instead of just the love series which is their entry-level wines which are often blends still you know mostly from from single vineyards Um, but yeah I, I just thought that you know we would kind of go out of our way pre-order uh try and get our hands on enough of something that's a little more limited edition for the wine club and, and this is sort of that coming to fruition uh so this is their Cunwas. Cunwas, one of my favorite great varieties of all time i wish that there was more of it planted in the world but there's still only again, I think a couple hundred acres on on the entirety of the planet. It comes from the Rhone Valley, uh, so essentially from, from where Shadow Pop is. Uh, it might even originate in Shadow Um There's lots of arguments happening over <laughs> where it actually comes from, um, but it's seldom actually used in the blend. There are very few producers who actually still have some planted in their vineyard, because uh, it tends to make quite delicate wines. So producers like... Um, Shadow de Beaucastel, for instance, they still use every single grape variety that's permitted in the region. So a lot of these historic grape varieties, including Kunwa's, which they think adds a lot of freshness, a lot of delicacy, and under their uh, Perrin label, uh, they actually released a single, uh, a, a varietal quinoise, which was really delicious, uh, it was such a pleasure to get to, to drink it with them, again, this was, would have been five years ago now, um, but we got to drink it with uh, with the Perrin family and, and get to experience what quinoise is all about. Um, It has a lot of characteristics that are similar for me uh, to Cinso as well as Grenache, which, again, feel kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, but um, it has the freshness of Cinso, the delicacy, the floralness, um, that really interesting citrus quality that you don't end up with on on too many red wines. Um, But then it has the generosity of uh, Grenache. It has that strawberry characteristic, that uh, sweet sage characteristic that you end up with from Grenache. Um, It's sort of the perfect combination of a bunch of different things. Interestingly, uh, as we talked about Shadow de Beaucastel a second ago, um, these vines uh, are actual um, Mazal selection, so essentially cuttings from the Beaucastel vineyard that were potentially smuggled over uh, potentially made it through legal channels we're not entirely sure um, and planted at tablas Creek which is uh, Beau Castell's vineyard in California in in Paso Robles um, they then gave cuttings of those vines uh, to Eagle Point Ranch which is in northern California so uh, you know a couple hundred kilometers essentially away from Paso and um, in Mendocino County, so this is north of Napa, essentially. Uh, the soils here are quite a bit different than you'd expect from uh Nutsu Pop, where the grape actually originates, as well as they're at a way higher elevation. Uh, I believe these are at 1,800 feet above sea level in the Mayakamas, so uh, essentially planted at the top of a mountain. Uh, Really, really cool place. Iron-rich soils here, which really translates to the wine. I find that iron-rich soils add this rusticity to it. Um, It's very hard to make a uh, perfectly poised, refined wine from iron soils, and so I don't think we should. I think we should just let it be... You know, a little bit wild, a little bit feral, Uh, I like that quality. Um, This wine, uh, they're doing um, de-stemmed, so they're taking the grapes off the stems, although historically they've done um, more stem inclusion. Um, Again, using stems makes the wine a little fresher. They're going for a little more body here. So. From a flavor perspective, again, exactly what I was just saying with that combination of sinso uh, qualities and, uh, and Grenache qualities, uh, strawberry is the first thing that that jumps out at me, and uh, for anybody who's listened to this podcast many times, you'll know how much I love wines that have strawberry characteristics. I think a lot of wines have cherry, for sure, maybe raspberry, um, but getting a true strawberry characteristic in a wine is, is always a treat for me. Um, this wine is quite turbid compared to most of the wines from Brock, meaning that it has uh, a lot more sort of like suspended particles in it. Um, this is essentially coming from proteins that are that are still floating around the wine. Um, again, I don't think that it necessarily affects the flavor for the worse. Uh, it definitely just adds a textural element, almost like a creamy strawberry characteristic to it. Um you know, that softness, that juiciness, that, that plushness. Uh, so I really, you know, I really like that style. Um, most of their other wines are very tight and very focused versus this one's a little more sort of like loosey goosey ethereal kind of vibes to it. Uh, definitely something that I dig. Um, and because we are talking California, I'm going to go back to my old classic, which is lighter red wines with tacos. Um, This wine is only coming in at 12.5% alcohol, which is perfect. Uh, We're talking, like, very in the center of medium body, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Incredibly flavorful, incredibly um, focused. Like, there's... There's, it's saturated. Like it's not, there's no room for more flavor here. Yet at the same time, it's only 12.5% alcohol. So for me, tacos are kind of a good way to go. Uh, It's usually not my go to, but I think chorizo tacos with this would be awesome. Um, you know, normally I'm, I'm a glutton and (laughs) just go for carnitas over and over again. But I, I think chorizo with this is makes so much sense that sort of like melted fat spice, almost that sourness that you get from chorizo, I think would go super, super well with this. Um, and then, you know, classic like birria, like, you know, dipped tacos in, in all that, uh, all that beef jus, uh, You know, Con Me Tacos has a great version of that. Um definitely get some if you uh if you find the opportunity. Um again, just a style that I really like. If you guys aren't feeling the tacos, again, this is classic medium bodied red wine territory. Uh roast a chicken, you know, have it with a burger, have it with pizza. Again, I, I always say if it's if it doesn't go with pizza, it's not wine. Uh and this is definitely a wine, it can definitely go with pizza, so you don't have to feel shy about doing that either. Especially with something with a little, you know a little bit of spice, you know, kind of the meat lovers pizza. That's the direction that I would go with this for sure. Um, but that's sort of the extent of it for this month. We'll keep it kind of uh, quick and clean this time, uh, so you don't have to listen to me talk for hours on end. Uh, but next month we'll have a guest on the podcast as well, so look forward to that any of you have any questions about any of the wines or want more information, you can send us an email. My email address is eric E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. Uh, you can also reach us at on Instagram, which is probably the maybe the easiest way to reach us, uh, which is just at juice imports. Uh, you know, definitely tag us in the bottles if you're really digging them. Uh, we always love hearing from you. It's, uh, it's such a pleasure to hear your feedback. So thanks so much for listening. We'll uh, chat with you again next month. Cheers.